Everybody has an interest in the dark side. We live in a uh, time when there's really not a whole lot that legitimately scares people or puts them in fear of their life. So the victim is the most overlooked aspect of any crime. Every crime scene tells a story. The victim serves as a lens for what the offender was doing. And what I mean by true crime on red alert. Right along with host Bianca Crespo and former FBI agents Ray Carr and James R. Fitzgerald for an intimate perspective on gripping high-profile cases, this is Cold Red. Hi, I am producer Bianca Crespo and I am joined by my hosts Ray Carr and James R. Fitzgerald, two of the most celebrated former FBI agents in their fields and I am joined by them today to discuss a few topics of our choosing. Um, I'd like to throw it over to you, James, if you'd be so wonderful to share a little bit about yourself and your career and what brings us here today. Sure, Bianca, it's great to be in this perhaps haunted uh, studio building here in Philadelphia, my hometown. Uh, James R. Fitzgerald, uh, Fitz is my lifelong nickname and um, born and raised in this town and uh, went to Penn State University, then became a store detective upon graduation, a uh, Ben Salem Township police officer, uh, suburban Philadelphia for 11 years, uh, patrol officer, plainclothes, detective, sergeant, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Time for a change in the late 80s, 1987, joined the FBI after going to the Academy in Quantico uh, for 16 weeks, uh, spent seven years in New York City working all kinds of extortion, bank robbery, kidnapping cases, uh, you name it, arrested a lot of bad guys, including an FBI agent who uh, did some things with kids he shouldn't have been doing. Uh, worked some really big cases there and then uh, put in for a promotion in 1995 and was sent to the profiling unit in Quantico, Virginia. And after 12 weeks of training there, uh, I was shipped off to the Unabomb Task Force for what was supposed to be 30 days. However, it, uh, it lasted about a year and a half. And after uh, uh, a 17-year-long crime spree by the serial bomber known as the Unabomber, uh, within nine months, we had Ted Kaczynski under arrest in his cabin in, uh, in Lincoln, Montana. Uh, a lot of the evidence was the language uh, analysis that my team did to compare the known writings of Ted Kaczynski to the, to the question writings of the Unabomber, compared those, and that started a whole other branch of my career, that is forensic linguistics. My career kind of started out uh, graduating from college and then started working at a school for young boys. Uh, they were juvenile delinquents, it was called Glen Mills. I did that for almost nine years, and then in 1989, I went into the FBI. Unlike Jim, I only needed 13 weeks to get through the academy. Jim needed 16, but uh, well, that's a topic for another time. Right. Uh, but uh, my first office was Buffalo, New York, and um, I got involved in, a, uh, in the first nine months in something that it usually takes uh, agents years to get involved in. Yeah. Sometimes uh, they never touch it during the whole career and it's called a Title III where you actually get involved in tapping someone's phone and putting microphones in a business. And I did that to a, um, an auto parts store 
that was filled with corruption that went all the way up to the mayor's office. It was a pretty great case. Uh, I didn't get to see it through because I was transferred to the Philadelphia division, but other people did. And I got to Philadelphia in 1991, and they put me on the bank robbery fugitive squad. And in 2000, I get a call uh, and uh, about a, a bank robber that's been robbing banks since 1987, uh, mostly up in the Scranton area and up in the New York area, Albany division. And uh, we uh, discussed it, and it led into the case and, and the discovery of Carl Gugasian which I wrote a book on, 30 Years on the Run, The Hunt for the Most Prolific Bank Robber in History. Uh, that's done real well. I've been on a few TV shows, Masterminds, the FBI Files, uh, with that. Uh, there's some things working right now as far as potential uh, development uh, out with some uh, studios out in L.A. So we'll see how that goes. This is all very exciting, and you both have very incredible lives, very... Uh interesting lives that I know a lot of people who haven't, you know, been involved in. Jim and I, uh, you know, we've seen a lot. I equate that to kind of having a, a ticket to the circus, <laughs> you know? We're in the front row at the circus. Mm -hmm. What everybody sees on TV, Jim and I get to see live. Right. And uh, there's a big series. difference. People don't have that opportunity. And if anything in this podcast... We want to bring on investigators, doesn't matter what their race or gender or anything like that is, but to tell us about how they put these cases together. We also want to bring in some victims to talk about what it's like to be victimized, uh, whether it happened you know, one time and that's it, or over a course of a number of years. When we start talking about cases, let's go from A to Z and always have some time for the victim in there too. Not just for him or her, but also for other potential victims out there. Let's make sure they can avoid becoming victimized themselves by crimes such as the ones we may have discussed on the podcast that day, but certainly other crimes going on in the news. So The victim is the most overlooked aspect of any crime. You know, all people are really concerned about is, did you get the person that did this? And they forget about the victim. And the reason why most people become victims is because of their poor situational awareness. And we can help people hone that skill to become more aware of what's going on around them and not do things that are going to put them in a higher risk category of becoming the victim of a crime. In profiling, there's a term, I know Ray is aware of this, mm -hmm. victimology. And, it, and whenever as a behavioralist and also a linguist, I would look at a case, uh, sure, tell me about the unknown offender and perhaps what he or she did at the at one or more crime scenes, but I want to know everything possible about the victim. If the victim is still alive, which in many cases we work, unfortunately they're not, so you don't have that source of information, right. but uh, you certainly have family members, you have witnesses and people that know the victim, but if they're still alive, tell us everything you can, not just about the crime, but you know what even led up to the crime, the days, if not weeks, if not months before, and, uh, and, 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 and especially with a a serial offender of some sort, serial rapist, serial murder, you can perhaps then put together what kind of victims is this person looking for. Every crime scene tells a story. The victim serves as a lens for what the offender was doing. And what I mean by that, there was a, a homicide out of Mannheim Township. I think it was 2010, 2011. I don't remember the exact date, but I had a chance to go out to that crime scene, which is very rare. 
to do that. It happened on a Friday into Saturday, and I went out on a Monday. And it was myself and another agent from Philadelphia, and we were in contact with Quantico, with the, with the BAU at the time. And we were talking to them, and they were looking at a statement analysis, and they thought it might have been a professor at one of the daughters, uh, at the daughter's college. I don't want to mention any colleges at this point. But what happened was they were telling us about this homicide. And what really helped me was going to the crime scene itself, walking through the crime scene as if it just happened because it was untouched, and seeing where the parents were in the bedroom and the brother. All three had been killed. The sister was also at home, but apparently the offender didn't know that because the offender, which told me, you know, thinking from the offender's perspective and looking at the victims, which told me that the offender and the victims knew each other because they had to know each other because if they didn't, he would have made sure he checked every room. But he thought that the sister's at college still and she had just come home that day. So she had no idea. The mother and father were stabbed and so was the uh, so was her brother. But when you saw the crime scene, the mother and father were not the targets of the offender. It was the brother. Because you saw a little bit of blood in, in the parents' room, but what you saw in the brother's room was an unbelievable bloody scene, like there was a war that went on in there. And you said, here was the focus of the offender. In order to prevent you know, future crimes from happening, you think it would be at least what you're, you both are saying is it would be very beneficial to educate anyone who's listening um, how to not be a victim, how to prevent a you know potential crime or find themselves in a situation that is dire. And it seems like you're both saying as well that behavior on both sides factors into you know what's going to happen in terms of profiling a you know potential criminal or a victim and how they behave and where they go and what they do and. You know, if they don't check the back seat of their car when they go into the parking lot, which I do, I have a tendency to do now because it's, you know, it's good to be, like you said, self-aware and always be aware of your surroundings because, I mean, would you both agree that you're never truly safe? A case that Ray and I worked together and uh, we, we were definitely successful and it was Arthur Bomar. Oh, yeah. A serial killer in uh, Delaware County. He in was Delco. Delaware County, he was Monco, uh, and Montgomery Philly. County, and Philadelphia. Yeah. And again, we don't have to get into the weeds on this case, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't take long for us to determine that basically, we didn't know the name of the offender, but uh, at least in, in more than one case, he had bumped the back of a car of a lone female victim. And then it looked like a little mini accident. They would get out. Next thing you know, he would then abduct the woman two in the morning at an interstate uh, interchange where no one would really see it. And then that's how he would kill his victims. Well, we made sure to get that information out. Here's what's happening. This guy is like causing Pattern. fake yeah. accidents uh, on the highway. And it turns out what really solved this case, we did... We did some good work in profiling. We helped the investigators the best we could. But ultimately, it was a Philly... Uh, a Philadelphia police officer who told his, he he was following this case around the Philadelphia suburbs and the city itself because the body was found by Temple University yep. of the one uh, woman who was the daughter of a police officer. So we have a couple different police officers. A hole in the wall. In other words, when they say a hole in the wall, that means there's a house and a house 
and then there's nothing in the middle. So they call it a hole in the wall. So that's how they identified it. Which told us he knew that region of Philadelphia because right. of the number of one-way streets yeah. and dead ends. But this other Philadelphia police officer warned his young daughter, 20-something, who drives by herself at night sometimes, look, if anyone hits you, uh, you know, the way we've just read here in the, in the media or, or watched on TV, don't stop the car there. Just keep driving to a police station, go somewhere, a Crowded convenience store. And she not only did that, but she was smart enough, based on what her father advised, to copy down the tag of the car. Good. And Good. that was one of many leads called in. But all of a sudden, we got a hold of it along with the state police and local investigators and said, hey, this could be significant. And within a day or two, mm -hmm. the name Arthur Bomar comes up. Uh, he was already convicted of murder in Nevada. He got out of for seven years, now living in the Philadelphia area. And we put the case together from there. So there's a case where victimology too late for a few women, unfortunately. Um, but at least this one woman, because her father was following the news, he had a law She's enforcement surprised. background. He said, um, you know, be careful if this happens. And uh, that whole case was really put together in that regard. So and it's very horrific that the crimes that you both have dealt with over the years and having that unique perspective you know whereas you have others who walk life and you know go about their everyday lives and you know they'll dive into horror and or certain you know perhaps i would say like jeffrey dahmer like that's become a very popular tv show and people I, at least i found they find some sort of curiosity regarding these horrific crimes and you know we have popular true crime podcasts in general and several other TV shows on Discovery, but um, do you both find that, do you feel like, I mean, I suppose the question I'm trying to ask is why is horror so popular among people today? Everybody has an interest in the dark side. They may not all want to visit the dark side, but if I have an opportunity to view something in an environment where I'm safe and I can turn it off, uh, I can engage in it, I can turn the lights down, I can turn the lights on, and when I'm tired, I can just remove myself. There's such an infatuation because people can't imagine what these people will do to one another. I mean, when you look at it, the humans, human beings, mammals, were mammals, just as many other mammals, were the only mammal that kills their own. None of the other mammals kill their own. We do. But yet we're supposed to be the most intelligent. That's an oxymoron, yeah. I guess, when yeah. you think about it. But people are intrigued because it's something that they've never, they can't imagine happening, or they can't, and they're just... Is this, what is this really like? What is it like? And I think that's what intrigues them. And from a psychological or behavioral perspective, there's a few ways of looking at this. We all know we've all been on the highways when it's an accident the, in the other lane. Yep. But why is the lane with no accidents slowing down? Because people are rubbernecking. They want to look over and see. Um, not that they enjoy that something's bad happened to someone, but they want to look over to their left or to their right, depending on which way you know, they're driving. Um, they want to see what happened and they want to, and, and, and intrinsically, uh, in some portion of their brain, they're saying that, but for the grace of God or whomever could, could be me. 
and I want to maybe look over there and see and try to figure out even in a split second while I'm driving by what did that person do wrong because I want to make sure um, I don't allow something like that to happen to me so uh, morph that into uh, true crime um, books or, or miniseries or documentaries movies whatever they may be uh, people have sort of a morbid fascination in that there's a uh, ongoing uh, annual event there's there you've heard of Comic Con well there's something called Crime Con and I was at the first uh, two of them and 80% of the audience was middle-aged women Wow. and a lot of those women brought their teenage daughters with them and uh, I was it, it didn't surprise me a whole lot mm. working on criminal minds I knew their audience was um, mostly women uh, it, 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 uh, it, it, it trended women uh, and you know all different ages younger to middle age and I actually would help them uh, you know uh, come up with some storyline ideas oh here's an interesting case I worked and here's this one well we need a young pretty victim and if you ever watch Criminal Minds almost every episode is about a 20 something usually multiple women that are the victims of the uh, of the of the serial offender I myself was when I was in LA living they needed um, background as well as talent to stand in for uh, crime scene photos. And I ended up being a, a victim, a prostitute. They dragged out of the swamp and Good they took you. pictures. I know, isn't it great to put on my resume, right? Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. I remember when they were taking pictures outside, there's a, a man in his truck who drove by and he started yelling. He's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? I'm gonna call the cops. And I'm just here like, no, sir, I'm, I'm alive, it's fine. Um, but they were, like I had seen the casting call and it was always like whenever I'd look over the casting calls, young women, like it would always be young, like women. We live in a uh, time when um, there's really not a whole lot that uh, legitimately scares people or puts them in fear of their life. So not that we're inventing things, of course, that's what novels and scary movies are about but I think uh, but people want to touch a reality and for whatever reason you know we can also get into that middle-aged women but uh, they, 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 they want to learn about real crimes they want to be frightened for some for some reason that's maybe uh, hardwired into our brains that that's how we best survive that every day we're surviving somehow an attack from the neighboring tribe or the woolly mammoth or some other creature that would come about we don't have that anymore you can mostly walk the streets and be unafraid except unless you become a, a crime victim so i have to ask fitz right what do you hope that others who listen to this show get from it like what 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 do you feel is a clear message you would like to send to viewers and listeners alike? Well, I see two primary goals with a podcast uh, such as this. Uh, number one, let's solve existing crimes. Let's do our best to solve existing crimes. Uh, and let's prevent other crimes, other people from becoming victims of crimes. To me, that's they would be the two primary goals of uh, of any sort of ongoing interaction. This would be like a perhaps informative uh, version of uh, of you know an entertainment uh, venue where we can make some important inroads in both those areas. Now we can also be entertaining. 
we can joke with each other a little bit when the time is right. But uh, but to solve crimes, to prevent future crimes from happening, and and if a crime has happened, let's do our best. You know, something that's current in the news. Let's do our best to walk the listeners through step by step what may be next. Uh, uh, you know, either either investigative wise, either prosecution wise, defense wise, or whatever. And uh, sort of that three stooled approach of. Uh, uh, of providing information to our listeners. That that would be the goal I think we more or less agreed upon going into this. But I don't want to say have fun doing it because crime, true crime in and of itself, there, there are victims, so it, it was you know in no way fun to them. But it's not going to be all dour, and uh, I don't want people, you know, ending uh, listening to us and you know walking in away depressed cars, yeah. we're going to try to end it with a positive note and saying you know you can prevent this from happening just like smoky bear you can prevent <laughs> forest say. fires you can prevent being only a you victim we'll That's have right. to get that on a poster i think smoky the bear what are you going with smoky the bear <laughs> you know i agree what he says jim jim said that beautifully uh i really don't have much to add to that the one i mean i i hope that this uh enlightens people and allows people to assist, not us, but to assist law enforcement solve the crimes that need to be solved, that they're having a problem solving. But most importantly, to provide everyone out there with the knowledge to prepare themselves so that they can prevent themselves from being the victim of a crime. I think that's where it really gets down to because when we look about this, it's all about the victim and if we can help people prevent themselves from becoming the victim of a crime, then that's a really positive thing that this podcast has done. I would have to agree. I think there should be more podcasts that show respect in that regard. I, I think agree. there's too much glamorizing and less, like we spoke of previously, education mm -hmm. and preventative measures that should be taken in order to avoid any kind of dark subject matter, any kind of crime. Um, I think Bianca, and I think Jim will, will agree with this, every podcast that we do will end with something that they can take away, that they can take away that's going to help them either as a person, it's going to help the law enforcement, or it's going to help society. One of those three areas that's going to help. And Ray, you know what I'm going to add to that too, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Nothing disturbs me more in in real crime scenarios than waking up some morning or midday, whenever it is, and you're reading about a mass shooting somewhere. And it's invariably it happens in malls, it happens in too churches, in schools, of course. Um, in a way, I'd like to talk. And neither of us are miracle workers here, and. Uh, we're not going to pretend to be able to get inside the head of everyone out there, but I'm wondering if there's going to be some of those people that would listen to our program. That, I'm not even sure that would be the target audience we're looking for here, but if they happen to listen to Ray and Fitz have some conversations and maybe they're contemplating some kind of bizarre act where they're going to try to hurt many people uh, or, or kill many people, and of course, or worse, with a car, with hammers, with, Any with device, certainly yeah. weapons, anything. Um, you know, maybe listening to us, maybe even talking to us down the line, uh, would uh, would be some way that we could help them too, and not to castigate them, not to denigrate them, but to say, hey, let's you know, 
let's bring you over to the to the right side of thinking here and let's avoid some kind of a, a bizarre incident like that. So we're going to try to really appeal to uh, a lot of different people uh, and types of people in this podcast. If you're curious about true crimes and you really enjoyed uh, Manhunt Unabomber or, or Criminal Minds, this will be something for you. Yes. And in conclusion, I, I believe, you know, I agree with how we aim to truly educate, to inform, to respect victims and their families, um, but also encourage others, like I said, to be proactive. And hopefully we can make a difference in that way. I agree. And that being said, I would love to conclude our show. And thank you, Fitz and Ray, again, for joining me and having this great outlet for such a wonderful cause, I believe, that should be, you know, really respected. And I feel like we should close with a moment of silence for any victim of true crime.